Voyager. Season 4 we have encountered the Borg, Elizabeth, Lindsay, and Will. Continue the theological discourse through the Delta Quadrant. Resistance is futile. Irrelevant. Your appeal to my humanity is pointless. I can't be sure, but I think there's more going on here than just a simple hello. Well, I think it's time we get back to our bridge. No argument there. Voyager, Season 4. Welcome to Voyager, a theological journey, and it's great to have you all with us as we continue our way across the Delta Quadrant. In uh, this episode, which is episode two of season four, um, we have uh, our synopsis for today. Seven of Nine, the Borg drone that Voyager severed from the collective, resists her natural human physiology and begins to regenerate. It's up to Captain Janeway to convince her to embrace her humanity and to join the Voyager crew. Meanwhile, Kessa's tele telekinetic powers grow to such a point that she can no longer control them. In order to prevent Voyager from being destroyed, she decides she must leave the ship. I'm a, a huge Seven of Nine fan, and so I'm really enjoying these first episodes as we get into um, discovering who Seven of Nine is and her um, gradual integration into the Voyager crew. So I really enjoyed this episode. I enjoy the uh, the way different characters uh, interact with Seven of Nine. I guess uh, some of my favourite um, quotes this week were uh, Harry Kim talking to Seven of Nine, his his uh, great um, uh, introductory line, I guess the Borg meet a lot of people, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. It was good. It was good. That's such a silly line. I'm with you, Lindsay. I'm a real fan of Seven of Nine. I like her a lot, even where she's been completely ferocious and, and sneaky. Um, she's a very authentic character for me. And I enjoyed this episode because I actually felt there was some real plot development and character development that was deliberately done, which we don't always get in, you know, with the standalone episodes. Um, I, I like the continuation from last time and I like that it's obviously going to keep going and lead somewhere. So, um, yeah, as we've been saying, this is um, a, a shift in the way that the episodes uh, are structured um, and that we're, we're now seeing from this point onwards a more continuous uh, story um moving on um and and i've noted the same thing with the way star trek was it was writing and and creating um deep space nine as well at the same time um babylon five which a lot of sci-fi fans would be aware of actually used this method from the very beginning uh, and um it took it's taken a little while i think for star trek fans and other sci-fi fans to get used to that um, personally, I, I was a little surprised about how um, emotionally affected I was by this episode, um, and I don't recall actually ever having that, that experience before, um, especially with, uh, with lines like, every cell um, in my body is telling me, um, you know, um, that I, I, I'm different to what I appear to be. Uh, and and uh, the I guess the journey that both the, the characters in this this episode um, are actually undergoing in terms of recognizing that they see themselves differently to the way they may have done before and the way that others see them um, certainly had a profound impact on me. Mm. 
And it is interesting the way they um, uh, use the two characters of Kess and, and Seven uh, on, on quite different journeys. And in Kess's um, case, uh, a journey which is entirely voluntary and in which um, she is questioned but uh, ultimately encouraged to go on her uh, journey of becoming different. Uh, whereas uh, Seven... Um, is is um, uh, not uh, enabled to make a, a free choice at this stage, uh, although I think that, that comes with later episodes, but uh, instead there's an imposition of uh, a change to her. So it, it is quite an interesting juxtaposition. Well, there's a real tension there, I think, and I can understand why Will would um, interact with it the way he did because... Um, Seven of Nine is being told by Janeway, basically, I know better than you. Um, and you will think differently once this metamorphosis back to humanness takes place. So you've just got to, I suppose, believe that Janeway is right. And as she becomes more human, she'll think differently um, when than she does as when she's more Borg. But it's, I found that very tense, those particular scenes, because I found it difficult watching Janeway saying, I'm not going to give you that. And Seven of Nine responding with, you're just as bad as the Borg then. You're not allowing me a choice. And that, that made me uncomfortable. I don't think it triggered me, but it made me uncomfortable because it's all riding on the fact that she's somehow going to be different in a week or two weeks or whatever it is that she takes to uh, return to her human condition and... You know, that's really slim grounds, I think, for making some decisions. The church often does this um, when it's trying to relate to LGBTQIA plus people, um, that it will actually um, uh, say, look, uh, you know, if, if we undergo this therapy or we talk or if, if I pray for you or if I, if I work with you, then you may see yourself differently. You may see yourself um, the way the way our paradigm wants you to see you. Um, and and this, this kind of um, um, process, from my experience of, of working with, uh, with uh, LGBTQIA people and especially a number of trans people, is really destructive because it doesn't allow them to, to, to explore the journey without, without feelings of obligation. Um, mm. and and feelings of of, um, of shame um, and and so this can be psychologically very destructive to to people to decide that we know what's best and that we see them in a way that is superior or better to the way they actually see themselves I think there is uh, um, I mean I, I agree with all that but I think there is a, a basic asymmetry um, in thinking about uh, you know um, people who are subject to conversion therapy or uh, that kind of thing with what has happened to Seven of Nine. And the asymmetry is that Seven of Nine um, hasn't chosen to become Borg. She was violently um, caused to become Borg as a child without any choice in the matter. And so I think from Janeway's perspective, at least, this is, is righting a wrong uh, to to bring her back to what was her her um, you know in, intended state, and if 
uh, I, I mean, I think Janeway might even say this. If, you know, as a, as a, a fully human person, uh, Annika Hansen said, you know what, I, I, um, I see that, that, you know, I am a human, but I actually prefer being a Borg. I like the, like the you know, um, hive mind or whatever, and I'd like to go back then, you know, perhaps that would be a different thing than, um, in a sense, deprogramming someone who was violently assimilated and, and, and forced uh, to become a Borg for the greater part of her life. There's, there's two things I'd want to pick up there. And one is, I think that, that in, in the actual quote of the uh, episode, it's Seven of Nine who asks that question of the captain and says, when I reach this point and I decide that I still want to do this, will you let me go? And Janeway does not answer. She actually no, just stands she there. She's paralyzed because she recognizes that she should answer. Yes. But I think that in her being, she doesn't want to. Um, and she's not capable at this stage of actually um, of seeing um, seven of nine in that way. Um, but I also feel that there's a danger in what you've just said, which is true in this case that, that seven of nine is where she is because of a trauma that she's experienced as a as a child that has caused her to become what she is that often the church will actually apply that scenario to all lgbtqii people and i've heard people in the church actually say things like well they must have been abused as a child or damaged as a child or that something has happened to them that's caused them to be this way um, which I agree is different to where where Kess is. So Kess is actually realizing her potential as an accompa and evolving into who she ought to be and experiencing a similar dysphoria. And I think that's where this this episode's really helpful in that these are two very different ways of actually trying to deal with with dysphoria caused by two very different things. Um, and I, I really struggle with the fact that the church as a community, often has not been able to see Kess's um, journey um, and they've applied Seven of Nine's journey to all people um, mm -hmm. in, in, um, in this position in order to help us to feel better about um, who they are and how they should be. It's also easier, I think, Will, for people if there's a blanket way of doing things, if you get what I mean. I'm not saying that blanket way is right, but if there's some kind of general rule you can buy into without having to think to it too much, the church does tend to default to that kind of thinking without realising necessarily that it's harmful um, or really analysing what they're doing. I mean, it reminded me a little bit of when people get sucked into cults and quite dangerous cults and they, in effect, become brainwashed and they'll tell you they don't want to leave the cult, but... You know, people used to buy, play kidnappers to get their children out of these cults and then they had to be deprogrammed. And I guess um, Seven of Nine's a little bit like that. And I suppose no one would really question someone being kidnapped out of a cult and deprogrammed, or at least they wouldn't have done back in the 80s um, or the 90s. But I don't know whether they would now. But how far can you trust someone who's been programmed or brainwashed to believe something when they say they want to keep being that thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. do you have to clear that mess away before they can actually make a free decision? Is that what Janeway's doing? Yeah, I mean, it's a fascinating sort of question. Um, and just coming back to, to Will's uh, comment about, um, you know, the two ways, the, the, the thing that happens to Seven and, and what's uh, allowed to happen with Kess, 
Um, and I, I think one of the one of the issues for the uh, church often is that, like in the case of Kes, the Voyager crew have no conception of what's happening to Kes. This is not something that they've ever experienced or that they can make sense of. Um, and, and nor can Kess for that matter, but she at least has the internal witness of her body and her mind changing and saying, this is okay, this is good. Um, and, and so it's because of that that I think they question um, be, because it's outside their ken. And I think that that's one of the issues with the church is that while um, the majority of those who are faced with these sorts of questions don't have experience of uh, being... Uh, gender dysphoric or of, of uh, taking a, um, a decision to uh, uh, to become trans or of, you know, any of the multiplicity of, of different um, identities that, that we recognize these days. Um, it, it's beyond our experience. And so it's then easy, as, as Elizabeth says, to fall back on, you know, well, uh, this is what I know and what I've experienced and understand. And so here's my answer. Mm. Yeah, we like tropes, you know. And even in Kessa's case, they do attempt multiple therapies to see if they can actually bring uh, and arrest uh, what's happening, to bring it under control, to to keep Kess as they want her to be. Um, and uh, um, like in the end, um, the change was going to happen whether they wanted it to or not. It was just going to. Uh, overtake the ship um and, and certainly i mean as a as a parent who's gone through this journey with a trans child um there is such a complex level of emotion uh involved in how we actually work with this and and um be able to comprehend what's going on that one of the things that i i had to do very early on in our journey was actually to surround myself with other people who weren't as emotionally involved in the situation so that I could actually have space and voices to be able to 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 say this is this is this is how I'm feeling because there was grief there was loss uh in the same way that Voyager is experiencing the loss of Kess um and um yeah it, it was actually a really difficult situation to be a part of I'm not as quite as hard on them trying to I don't know they're trying to keep Kess the same exactly I just think nobody including her what knows what's going on mm. so they're trying to find ways of exploring it safely and that becomes more and more fraught as she begins to affect the whole structure of things around her um, but I get that given her experience and I'm connecting it with that episode where she had that O'Comp and got her to incinerate the plants and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And she got very frightened and it was out of control. And I think given that episode, if it's harking back, I think attempts to help her to understand what it is and to control it are not unreasonable. Mm. I mean, she's not saying no, 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 no. I mean, Janeway does try and persuade her to say, but it becomes very clear that's not possible. Um, and they let her go with as much grace as you can muster when the ship's falling apart around you and they're trying to, you know, shoehorn her into a shuttlecraft. Mm. But I didn't feel there was any malevolence there or any real desire, we must keep you the same. It was this more fear of the unknown 
mm. and fear of what to do about it and how best to assist her because no one knew what was going on. And I think that's exactly the place of the family members and support people and friends of people who are undergoing these kinds of changes for dysphoria. Um, and, uh, you know, look, there are dysphorias that we actually encounter that we do need to actually um, provide um, therapy and support for. Um, so um, anorexia is, is, is a form of dysphoria also. And we certainly wouldn't um, want to um, assist or encourage the 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 visualization that a person with anorexia has we'd want to be able to try and support them to see themselves in a way that wasn't as destructive um and 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 damaging um but it doesn't change the fact that that in caring and that's the thing i think i found the hardest in trying to care for somebody who is is uncertain that they can see themselves in the way that the world has seen them or that they've even seen themselves anymore we can actually be causing pain, um, and mm. and and so, how do we, how do we not care in a caring way? Um, how how do we offer freedom when we don't know what the end result will be? Um, these are these are the kinds of questions that friends and family um, often are, are asking when they're actually. I don't think there's any malevolence often. I mean, there is sometimes of control, but but mm. but as a parent. You know, you love your child and you want them to, to be safe and you want them to be well and you want them to be all they can be. And in the midst of any kind of transformation, you can't see what they're going to be like when they when they suddenly um, uh, find themselves and connect and become the junior mayor of Geelong. Uh, and I want to say just how proud I am of my son, Elliot, and the way that he has undertaken this remarkable journey of, of finding himself his true self uh, in this process uh, and, and how frustrating I find it when people actually um, will judge him and, and our family for actually um, um, taking this journey of discovery, um, which has been very, very difficult. I think too that, uh, Will, as you said, you know, as a parent um, or as another relative, you're wanting the best for these people that mm. you love. And, and the reality of life is that sometimes there is no unalloyed best, you know, that, that, that uh, for someone to um, take a course of being authentic to their sense of who they are may indeed mean that they, they uh, go through a, a road with difficulties and, and trials and whatever. Um, and, and there's just no perfect answer of, oh, we, we make this choice and everything's great. Um, and I think that that's, I mean, that's the reality in human life, uh, period. And I, I think I, I've been reflecting on that in the context of caring for aged um, uh, parents and, yeah. and, and sometimes having to make decisions for them because they're not able to. And, and knowing that whichever decision you make, there will be downsides as well as upsides. Uh, and that's really, really difficult. Yeah, I think that... Probably we can only do the best we can with the information that we have at yep. the time. And it's probably incumbent on us to make sure that we do have the best information that we can access and that we really deeply listen to what people are telling us hmm. about what's happening for them and what they feel and, and who they think they are. And we don't dismiss that. I'm not sure there's any other formula in inverted commas that you can actually follow. 
And that's where Tuvok was my strength in this episode. Um, Tuvok actually was able, definitely you could see in Tuvok that he was afraid. And at one stage, Tuvok and um, and the captain are walking through the, the, the corridors um, and, and the captain says, I can see it on, by the expression on your face. Uh, and, and even though Tuvok denies that he has an expression on his face, we, we know that this troubles him. What's happening troubles him. But he's able to use his Vulcan discipline to actually um, make his trouble secondary to his care of, of Kess. Um, and and I, I I certainly as as a parent had to work really really hard to actually to 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 do that to make my trouble my fears my concerns uh, the things that I was trying to work through as as a parent secondary to care for my child um, and um, and I think a lot of fathers in this situation really really struggle with that um, and um, and and certainly um, it's not an easy um not an easy practice for 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 um men to actually undertake to 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 separate out our our own sense of troubledness and fear from from what we need to do um in order to care for another person yeah i think that's a really good point because i think that there's an assumption that mothers take on that kind of nurturing intuitive role and fathers do not and of mm. course it's just another society's um, one of society's tropes that you know it's easy to fall into its lure but you're right will it, it shouldn't be the stock standard way that men respond and mm. and or anyone for that matter yeah there's uh there's a, a a hymn that i quite like um um that that talks about the many names of god and and uh, it uses lots of different metaphors of father and mother and and young young man and, and woman um, and the thing that I love about um, the the words of that particular hymn uh, is not only does it uh, cast God using these different metaphors but it also twists what you expect from the metaphor so it, it talks about the 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 um the father uh, caring deeply for their child and 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 nurturing them and supporting them and the mother you know acting powerfully and and making changes mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so I I, I like that um, ability to actually step outside the the sort of bounds that society uh, tries to to put us in. Well, I think society on a whole has progressed on this. I think that men probably most the majority of men don't see themselves in that old way anymore you know of being emotionally devoid or holding it all together or being strong or whatever they think they're doing but counter to that as women have discovered their own power and not being uh, sort of someone who stays at home subservient to the working husband mm -hmm. it's given rise to a whole bunch of men um i won't say it's a majority but it's a significantly noisy minority who want to go back to that way and say this is the world as it should be we should be in charge we're built to be like this we should tell you what to do and and you know you should bake goods and have dinner on the table and <laughs> this is the way things are um so i guess there's been a kick about against that concept that men can be emotional and explore their feelings um and accept other points of view and try and understand that things might be different from the way they were raised with um, masculine expectations, whatever they might have been. 
So it's it's a curious phenomena, I think, that's at work at the moment in our societies, where we have people like yourself, Will, who've been put in a situation and who do explore this in authentic and genuine and emotional ways, both what it means for your child and for yourself. And then you've got others who would just put their foot down and say, I'm boss because I'm a man and this is how it's going to be. Yep. Yeah, and look, I, I've heard stories of men who, who will try to beat this out of their children, um, who who cut off complete um, contact, um, who, who allow their fears to become the the boundary that protects them it was fascinating when i was working on the australian story article on the abc um that was um talking about dr telfer and and elliot's journey with dr telfer um that they 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 really wanted to talk to me because they they had found so few fathers who had actually kept relationships with their with their children um, mm. uh, when they had actually um, come out and said this is this is who I am, whether that be uh, gay or lesbian or or um, or bi or or trans or whatever, um, there was there there was a, a fairly high instance where even men who might have been quite self actualized or or emotionally in touch with themselves in other areas could not work out how to how to contain their trouble in the way that Tuvok does in this episode. Um, mm. And even that final touching scene where where Tuvok steps in to to provide her with uh, with a uh, with Kess with that with the 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 mind meld to 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 give her the strength to be able to to make the last little bit of the journey, um, and and the cost to him in that that was really evident was was really touching, very moving, and I I, I kind of felt that strongly. Yeah, it was touching. And, and he was very courageous, I thought, because I thought, oh, no, this is, if it's destroying the ship, what's it going to do to his brain to cells? So, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, Elizabeth, you've touched on the, the idea that society has changed. And, and for me, as a, a Christian and as a United Church minister, this is one of the things that I, I love about our United Church basis of union, that um, uh, it, it talks about standing in relationship to contemporary society in ways which will help us to understand um, our own nature and mission. And, and mm. so... We, we need to uh, look at the experiences and the ways in which society is changing and actually say, what do we learn from that? How might we hear the voice of God speaking to us as the church about, uh, you know, our calling um, in, in what we're seeing and hearing from people in society? And, and I like that openness very much. I think it's necessary. I mean, anyone who understands our scriptures would see they evolve. They're not the same. I mean, this idea that there's, they're all the same. I mean, there's the same doctrine or theology that can be found or extracted from them. It's just wrong. And you can trace Israel's development from a society where it was quite polytheistic, where they might have had one God, but they accepted everybody else had their God too. And they were quite real. And it's, it's quite a few years before we shift into the idea that the other gods are false mm. and that their God is the one true and real God. So there's an evolution that goes on, even an evolution um, in an apocalyptic sense. We have the idea initially that God rewards and punishes you in your lifetime. So the good get good things and the bad get blitzed. And when Israel is apparently rebellious or whatever, or idolatrous, then, you know, in comes Assyria or Babylon to punish them. But that shifts completely by the New Testament. You've got this idea that reward and punishment is shifted to another 
dimension after you die you know you've got this concept of heaven and hell so there's a constant evolution going on about what these people believe yeah. and what followers of jesus believe and we tend to ignore that or not apply it to our own society so mm. the basis of union is right on the money when it says that we have to evolve too mm. you can't be stuck back in like luther's Germany, for example, and say, well, this is who I am. It might be who you are, but, you know, there'd be a lot of things about that society I think you probably wouldn't like very much. Um, you've really got to be in contemporary society. That's where we live, work and breathe. You know, if you don't understand that, then the church is just going to be some great shibboleth. Mm. A lot about Luther's theology that I mightn't like to. <laughs> <clears throat> Especially the way he spoke of his wife. Mm. Oh, my chain indeed. <laughs> and there, there is that sense in which the, you know we we are now finding ourselves completely out of sync with the rest of society unless we're actually prepared to engage with with contemporary thought that 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 in some ways you know there are thousands of years worth of layers of understanding the universe and and theology um, that are actually still embedded in the way we talk about ourselves as 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 a christian community um we we still um uh, have uh services of the eucharist that will actually play deeply into the idea that um we need to kill one in order to save all um and 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 i think that 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 that's that's uh that's only one narrative that actually is at play here in this story and that we need to allow the other narratives to actually have expression as well uh, and to be able to keep our minds open enough to be able to say, well, these are, are all the options. I, I was deeply disappointed in Janeway, even though I understand where she was, that she mm. actually could not answer um, Seven of Nine's question when she asked her a logical question and that her, her hypocrisy was on display, deeply on display, um, just as ours is when we actually can't um, fathom other narratives or other possibilities as a church. Yeah, well, the best she could come up with, and I agree, Will, it wasn't a good answer, is when she said, when you're human again, you'll feel differently. You'll feel differently, yep. Yeah, yep. and I don't know that there's a guarantee of that. Maybe she won't. Mm. I mean, likely she will, but maybe she mm. won't. And when so, we've made you know, you, to make that assumption. When we've made you heterosexual again, you'll feel differently, you know. <laughs> exactly. Just yeah. get in a relationship so, with a girl. You'll be okay, mate. You'll be fine. Like, you know, once, once fake it till you make it and you'll be better. Um, a lot of that was echoing in, in, in behind what she was saying because she couldn't actually shed her own human position um, as, as superior to, to being Borg. Well, that's right. It's also, um, I, I wonder whether there's um, some of that sort of uh, purity notion. You know, I mean, one, one interpretation of some of the Old Testament food laws is about you know things should be what they are you know and so we don't want to eat mm. um you know see uh, f f um creatures that live in the sea but don't look properly like fish or you know creatures that you know don't fit their category and i think for someone like janeway there's almost this this purity thing going on that you know uh, annika hansen started a human and and that's what she must be the idea that in fact uh, as as we will see, uh, she is always a bit of an amalgam of human and Borg. Um, you know, it will be a struggle for Janeway to cope with uh, as well as uh, Seven, I think. Yeah, and I think that's quite reasonable, given that she was only seven years old, I think, when the Borg 
grabbed her and she's lived all of her life from that age of quite an early age and from a formative stage as a Borg. You know, you can't just put that in the toilet and shut the lid and it's gone. You know, it's, um, it's something that not only their implants and things, but it's how she has seen herself and how she's interacted and how she has viewed life and experienced it. Yeah. And you can't just disregard all of that as she morphs to human. Well, I'm assuming they can't. Um, there's still going to be parts of that there. In a sense, it's a bit like Balana with her Klingon and mm. human heritage. She can't put the Klingon in the bin any more than she can put yep. the human in the bin. You know, they're both there. And even though they're acquired differently, one is by a sort of genetic inheritance and one is by um, an experience from early childhood, um, they're still equally valid and they're still equally powerful. And and we don't ask that of the other Pinocchio characters as we as we do uh, as we're led to here of Seven of Nine. Like we we don't ask Data to 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 become human. We're not asking Bolana or Worf or, or even the Doctor. I mean, in fact, we don't even consider the Doctor will ever be human. We're always happy for him to be something else. Um, and and I I think that that's part of the listening is actually to say. I don't have the right to actually tell another person what their experience will actually make them into or what their what their heritage or their their history or their legacy will actually cause them to be. So that's the positive side, but on the on the on the trauma side, um in the treatment of trauma, um uh, we've we've discovered very clearly that when we've been traumatized, we will never be the same again. We'll never be the same again. And so this whole notion that healing is about reverting to an earlier form or going back to something that we were once before doesn't work. Um, that therapy and 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 support actually encourages us to understand and embrace the trauma that we've experienced and allow ourselves to become a new creation, something different to what we were before, um, because of the the traumatic experience we've 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 had. To try and tell someone who's traumatized, ah, oh, look, you know, you'll feel better once once you're you're restored to where you were before, will never work. Especially as they're never going to be restored to that point. That is not possible. It's not possible. No. No, I agree with that. Seven of nine will never be human again. Um, and and I really do love the fact, uh, and it's a bit of a spoiler for you, Elizabeth, but but I do love the fact that even reaching forward into future seasons and series and episodes, she is never the same again. And even when they they do in in Picard take her Borgness completely away from her due to alternate realities and time travel, she doesn't feel like herself anymore. She experiences a new and different kind of dysphoria. Um, because that's because because the because the universe has actually attempted to revert her into something else. So although I, she does quite enjoy that. it, um, she can see the value of it, but she actually wants to be who she who she is. Um, she doesn't want a trick that actually reverts her back to where she was. Um, yeah, I, I I like that Star Star Trek actually holds this line and says that going back to what we were is actually not our solution. You can never go back. It doesn't matter what it is. You can't go back in time. You can't go back to your past. You can't go back to your household, family home and think it's the same. It just doesn't work. Mm. It's always moved on and it's always disappointing usually. So, yeah. (laughs) 
There's another uh, interesting sort of uh, thing between these two transformations of, of uh, Kess and uh, of Seven of Nine. And, and you alluded to this earlier, Will, when you talked about Kess and the fact that this transformation is happening to Kess and there's nothing they can do to stop it. Um, you know, they can they can help it to happen in more helpful ways uh, and and bless her in that journey, uh, but but they can't stop it. And I think that that's that's a significant difference then from what we see in the case of uh, humans uh, that that have uh, dysphoria, um, which is that there's not a transformation of their physical being happening automatically that they then have to come to grips with mentally. Um, instead, the, the, the mental space, the sense of who I am, my identity, uh, gets out of step um, with the physical. And uh, the added layer of moral complexity is that we um, often then use um, technological or medical means to actually change um, the body if someone chooses to, to go down the route of being trans um, in order for the, the change to their body to um, better suit uh, their sense of who they are in, in their mental aspects. So, so it's, a, it's an added complexity there that, in a sense, we have to do the physical things like they do to Seven of Nine. But in the case of a trans person, that's being done with the person's consent and, and desire uh, to have changes um, that, that will make them feel... Um, more at one with themselves. Mm. Yeah. I, I wondered with Kess in this case what the influence of um, being in contact with species 8472 had on mm. the acceleration, whether their their engagement with her actually was a kind of treatment or a kind of, 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 of triggering thing that actually started that, that reaction because... So, so I mean, I guess there are interventions we can't see. But the other thing that I found fascinating was that I was at uh, the Sacred Edge Convention um, or Conference um, Festival uh, earlier this year, and I, I heard the testimony of one one particular trans person who who actually said that they became very sick um, and that the doctors couldn't work out what was what was literally killing them, uh, and that the dysphoria um, medically was was poisoning their body um and that that um that they actually needed to to change um and to 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 stop this um this um uh, dysphoria because the dysphoria became a, a fatal medical condition um and and i i i think that we we don't want to think about it in that way we often talk about it like it's a it's it's a choice um um, but the reality is whether it's psychological or physical, the end result of not acknowledging what's happening will, will be death um, will be yeah. and 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 we don't we don't consider that um, uh, in the way that we're actually um, talking about people um, often when we're exploring this because we, we actually think that the choice is do this difficult complicated thing that we're uncomfortable with or live a normal life. Um, and and that is not the option um, when it comes to to trans people. No, that's right. Um, and people are what they are. And I know that if you go with the latter option, you've said there, just get on with yourself and you know be mm. what I think you are. 
um, the suicide rate is very high among young very people, high. particularly who are in that situation. So whether it's um, death potential by a medical toxicity or whether it's because you're telling someone they can't be who they really feel they are, so they take their own life, the end result is the same, it's the same. and it's not acceptable. Yep. Uh, so we've, we've spent a fair time talking about the the manner of the transformation for Kess and also for Seven of Nine, but I guess one of the other things that we probably ought to talk about is actually the outcome, uh, which uh, for Kess is that um, Kess leaves the show uh, and uh, mm -hmm. Jennifer Lee and the, the uh, actor uh, leaves the show with one, one cameo later on uh, one episode. But... Um, uh, you know, th this is a major cast change. We've added a new member of the cast in Seven of Nine, uh, but we're now losing uh, one in Kess leaving. And I wondered whether you had thoughts about that for good or ill. I'm very sad to see Kess go. I've, I mean, she can be a bit sweet and saccharine sometimes, but I mean, on the whole, I think that I've enjoyed her character and I've liked the way she's learnt and worked with the Doctor. And um, I think one of you said to me once before, she leaves the show in a really nice way. And it was a nice way for her, but I felt a bit frustrated because I thought, is this what O'Compens are normally destined to? Was it her interaction with species, um, whatever they are, um, that has precipitated this? Mm. Why is she changing? What is she changing to? And, you know, has this a higher purpose somewhere that I am just completely missing here? I found it frustrating that, I didn't know. I mean, all I could, because I knew in advance that she was going to go, it was kind of like, well, we've got to write her out of the show. What can we do? We don't want to hand her over to the board, which would be one way of getting rid of her. But, you know, <laughs> we'll we'll use these um, sort of psychic abilities that she has and develop it until she turns into the mother of the universe or something like that because she's seen matter beyond matter. Um and that's it. We'll leave it at that without any explanation. I have to say, I did find that a tad frustrating. And we've wrecked yet another shuttle. I mean, how many of these shuttles do we have <laughs> on board right. Voyager? Like, it's just a, oh, quick, let's get another shuttle out there. Um, look, I, I, the whole concept around the Acompa is also a really interesting one because we know that the Acompa were held back by the caretaker. We know that some of the Acompa have have not, um, have moved beyond that and actually decided to work out who they are. And in, in some ways, this is an example of a sentient race of, of creatures that's being held um, and, and bred and looked after um, like a pet, um, like, like, like a cat or, or a dog. Uh, and, and, and so... They, they've never got to explore what it means for them to be independent. Uh, they're like children who have actually been cared for and, and continually looked after by their, by their parents, but at the same time have been disempowered and undermined and, and don't actually ever reach their, 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 their full capacity. Um, and so that's what we know of the Ocompa. Um, what we're seeing here in Kess is a, an Ocompa who's been set free of those constraints of, of, of caretaker um, and, and, and is able to actually explore what it means to be herself. Um, the, the entire Compa race almost has been treated like they have a disability and that they need somebody who knows what's best for them to be able to, to organise them in a group home um, and 
um, I, I think that there's some really interesting stuff for us to explore in that too. Um, that's not true of though. I would have said of the Ocompan Society she meets and that bloke that um, who has developed his telepathic powers and that society's operating. I thought they're un, they're out from under the caretaker's mm. nose. They've got the they've established themselves. They know what their abilities and powers are, and they're using them. Yep. There's no hint there that they're going to, you know, morph into some galactic nebula or whatever it is she turns <laughs> into. There's no sense there of that or, at all. Although they still actually have um, a caretaker yes, who is, is watching over them. Oh, and, that's and, true. They and do. so, right. so whilst yeah, the doors open a little, they've still got a mama knows best there. Now, here's some headcanon for you to, to play with um, that might be really interesting, uh, and, and that is what if the caretakers and the Ocompa are actually of the same race? Um, what, oh. if, what if the Ocompa eventually become what the caretakers are? And we don't see enough of what Kess becomes, but it's an interesting mm. idea mm. to think about that this is a, uh, a, a, a caterpillar butterfly kind of metamorphosis yeah. um, that's taken place. And what we've got here is one of the butterflies deciding not to let the caterpillars move into their, their, um, their new stage. Um, uh, and once that's been removed, uh, Kess can naturally um, become, become that. She does fling them with a thought 10 yes. years closer to home uh, in a similar yes. way. So, so there, there's it's 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 a head cannon, but it's it's a fascinating idea to play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah I quite like that. Will that would that would make sense for me in the story that maybe the Ocompans are the caterpillars, and they and if they're set free, they could all be caretaker butterflies. Mm. You know, I, I quite like that idea. What would the universe look like with an entire race of caretaker <laughs> butterflies with different attitudes and ideas? And I, it would become a, a very dangerous threat to the galaxy, I think, because uh, certainly we saw Suspiria was was a bit frightening and that was just one of them. So Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. And it would look like the Greek and Roman pantheon of gods that all yes. spent their time spitting at one another and disputing and causing wars and doing all sorts of damage because they couldn't sort their own shit out, basically. And and I mean it's fascinating then thinking about it from the creative perspective that that uh, you know a little bit bit of that is fun, uh, but we don't want too much of it. So we have to make sure, for instance, that the Q are somehow you know more interested in being part of the Q continuum than they are you know mucking around in the universe, or it, mm -hmm. it would just uh, be too much. Um, and, and I think that that, uh, you know, playing around with what is the creative choices behind this, uh, as well as what are the story uh, choices and, and possibilities is really interesting. And thinking about, you know, as Elizabeth was saying, that, that they could have chosen uh, to have the Borg, you know, kill Kess or whatever. And, and even when we get people uh, killed, as we saw with Lon Suter, you know, there's there's this sort of desire often, uh, if it's a character that you've grown to like, to to make their life worth something. So they have to have a, a noble sacrifice and, and, you know, maybe the Borg uh, kill them, but they do so saving the rest of the crew or whatever. Whereas yeah. a, a totally um, meaningless death, you know, uh, is really hard for us to take if it's a, a well-loved character 
And mm. I think, you know, for, for many um, Star Trek fans, that was the thing with Tasha Yar, was that, that her death was entirely meaningless. It, it, there was no heroism. She, she was just there and this monster killed her and she was gone, you know, and, and, and Star Trek fans hated that. Oh, I did anyway. Yes, yeah, so, well, I felt that there was a plot necessity here. I mean, the actor wanted to leave the show, so you've got to get rid of the character somehow. And getting rid of her this way does keep the door open for possible future visits back or, you know, a storyline that might pick up what happened to her. And it also it allows us to remember Kess fondly and imagine that she's gone off to be something greater and more wonderful, so... You know, it doesn't have that same trauma as if species, whatever it was, came and just whacked it with its tail and that was the end of it. So is that what's happening in the Ascension story? You know, that that, that it's it's allowing us to remember Jesus fondly because he sort of ascended into heaven rather than, you know, just uh, dying and mouldering in the grave or something? Well, I think that there's, once you have a resurrection where he says, I'm returning to the father, you do have a physical <laughs> problem. And that is, how do you get rid of the body? And I think Luke has solved this problem with the ascension. And he finds a spectacular way, uh, visually, of getting rid of the body. Um, and it's not around to trouble us at all. It's gone up to heaven to sit at the right hand of God. I uh, I have to say one of my favourite movies that I've seen in recent times is The Lady in the Van. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've seen The Lady in the Van, but uh, there's a similar kind of situation there where um, the, the they've had this relationship and and um, they need to find a way to end the movie without um, surrendering the main character to to corruption. And so they have an ascension story and it's 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 completely in the minds of the characters but there is this need for us to be able to 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 deal with death um in in pretty sparkly glowy ways um rather than actually um the way it happens um because i think that's one of our greatest fears is 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 um what happens to us um you know uh, as ministers, um, I'm guessing we've all had opportunities to be present at a great many deaths, um, and mm. um, and uh, they are they are beautiful and they are valuable and they are wonderful, but they are very confronting to be at, at present at the time when somebody dies, um, and and we do want to pretty that up. I think it's it's part of our human condition. Well, obviously, they wanted to print it up in the first century because this whole concept of heaven develops where you're going to go and be rewarded and, you know, live forever near God um, as a reward for your righteous and faithful behaviour. Um, I'm not sure that I've ever seen that as a particularly attractive thing in the sense that that's what keeps me going and makes me not afraid of death. The idea I might end up in heaven for my allegedly righteous deeds you don't want a, you don't want a, a sparkling uh, ascension uh, into into the heavens no, um, no uh, not really being i mean beamed i'm up. not afraid of i'm not afraid of death but that's not because i think i'm going to heaven whatever heaven is i'm not sure that i'm sure enough about the afterlife to actually make a categorical yeah. statement about it even if I am a minister. And, yep. and I mean, I think it's interesting, you were talking about the, the way, um, you know, our, our um, scriptural text and our theology evolves, Elizabeth. And, and my yeah. own sense is that, um, you know, the whole idea of heaven and an afterlife and whatever um, is, is actually less an evolution to 
add an extra sparkly dimension uh, and deal with the problem of death. I think it's actually more to deal with the the problem of life. And uh, as you said, yeah. you know, there was this conception that that uh, you know uh, the good are rewarded and and the evil are punished. And and Job, you know, throws a spanner in that and says, yeah, but what about when the good you know, have terrible things happen to them. And um, what about when the, the evil, as the Psalms often say, you know, evil people seem to get away with murder and, uh, you know, rack up all the good stuff. And and so in a sense, I think, you know, the, the idea of an afterlife is a, an ability to say, well, we don't always get what is a just outcome on earth, but there is still sure. justice. There is still a sense of justice in the universe. That's also, exactly right. Also, I don't and, want um, more of the same. Got it. I don't want more of the same of this. Like, you know, there are, there are days where I actually look around at this and I'll, I'll be honest and I'll say, I'm tired of this. This this is, this, you know, it's, it, it does feel like the Groundhog Day grind sometimes where it's just kind of <laughs> like, okay, we've got to do this again. Um, yeah. I, 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 I love that moment where, and that was brought out in this episode, where, where Neelix and Kess are having their moment in, in the mess hall and and they're drinking a toast to each other and it's the toast is to adventure um the toast is to 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 whatever our new horizons might be and and for me whatever this this afterlife concept is it has to be a new horizon it needs to be something beyond um where we are now um because because i i need something something more i want another adventure um yeah well, it's hard to know what it's going to be. I know a lot of older folk believe they're going to be reunited with loved ones. I've got um, a man in my congregation now. He's got a cyst in his liver. It will be terminal within the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and one of the first things he said to me was he was at peace about it and he, he would be reunited with his wife. And that mm -hmm. was really important to him. And I don't know enough to say, no, you won't, or yes, you will. You know, I'll just say, yep, that's that's a great thing to look to. That's right. How disappointed we'll be after they put us into the casket and we discover we just appear in a cobwebbed um, mess on an asteroid somewhere. <laughs> um, and that we can be farmed for future energy sources and dilithium. Um, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's. It, I, I, I love that, that Voyager is actually quite happy to, to, to take on these questions and ask these questions. Yeah, um, that we don't have answers to, but we can only hope about um, yep. and believe yep. about. So and, even and... that episode did raise the possibility of this sort of psychic energy of that was the person that was living on yep. apart from the cobweb encrusted coffins. <laughs> yes, yeah. it, it raised the possibility, but as Will said, they they didn't give an answer, and and Janeway no, actually didn't. explicitly says. We don't know, you know. Um, I, I just thinking about your your comments about wanting another adventure. Will I, I'm reminded of uh, the Star Trek movie Generations, uh, you know, where where Kirk is is lost in the Nexus, which is this yep. kind of heavenly like place where he gets to live in a log cabin and and cook eggs and whatever. But but there's something missing because he goes for a ride on his horse and jumps over a a ravine. And there's no sense of fear. There's no sense that it could go wrong, and 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 that you know this could be dangerous, uh, dangerous. And that's what um, twigs for him that this is this is not real. This is not it's heaven. Not this is some kind of dream thing, uh, because yeah. where where is the adventure? Where is the fear? Where is the scaling the next peak? Yep. 
I don't know that I need to scale the next peak. <laughs> you know, if I wake up in the afterlife and I've got a set of wings and I can fly around the universe, I'd be well content. I really would. That's You'd play your harp? Yeah. <laughs> well, not necessarily. I could be sans harp, but just the idea I'd be in some sort of lighter form where I could just wander around at random, you know, and explore things, I suppose, just but just to fly around and... I don't know, maybe I'd get lonely, but who knows what my mind would be like or whatever mm, serves for mm, a mind in that state. But I don't need to be f- filled with, frozen with fear or have challenges, I think, to yep. be content. I mean, well, people often imagine about fear either, yeah. <laughs> people yeah. often imagine ghosts sort of, or, or people in the afterlife coming back to sort of check out things on Earth and see how their relatives are going or whatever. I, it, it, like you, Elizabeth, I'd much rather journey around the universe and go and visit <laughs> some right. of the some of the extra galactic, uh, you know, intelligences that we will never. Uh, you know, be able to physically connect with as human beings because of uh, the realities of space travel. But, um, you know, I could could go there and check out some different civilizations. Exactly. I I mean, that's I sometimes have dreams where I'm doing that and I can fly in the dreams and I'm clearly on another planet doing something. Nice. And it is a bit fearsome because I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm working as a double agent or what I'm doing, but (laughs) there is fear involved in this dream and I've had it. I wouldn't say it's recurring regularly, but I've had it more than once. So, mm. you know, maybe there is something like that that you saw off into space and go and meddle in the affairs of others in good ways. I don't know. Maybe that's what UFOs are. <laughs> maybe it is. We do allow ourselves to be limited by our own perspective, uh, and especially in space and time. Like, you know, when we think about how vast and massive space is, we actually yes. go, wow, well, we couldn't possibly... Um, get to all of the places but also we think about how massive time is like you know we'll be here for our uh, our 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 70 something years or 80 years or however long we're here um, and uh, maybe we'll get to dance with John Travolta and uh, and and sing Xanadu <laughs> um, but it's only a tiny speck when it actually comes you know we, we wither and perish um, in in a moment, um, uh, when it's compared to the the scope of time, um, and so the scope of time and the scope of space says that um, that that really, like you say, Lindsay, why would we want to come back to this spec um, when when <laughs> we we suddenly have uh, potentially access to the to the full full gamut of everything? Yep. That's what I, I mean, that might sound strange, but that would be closer to my idea of heaven than sitting around in a white dress with a harp. (laughs) Yep. Um, There was another thing that was interesting to me. We've talked a lot about Kess and we've talked a lot about the transformation of Seven of Nine, but we get a lot of Voyager flypasts in this episode. Did you notice that? Lots of... uh, Oh look, there's his Voyager, and it's covered in green Borg stuff, and and they and they they talk in passing about how they've got to restore the ship. The ship's been damaged. The ship's been traumatized. The ship's been assimilated um, by the Borg, um, and and uh, so I didn't want to pass this episode without talking about Voyager itself, um, as and and the way it's actually now got to work out how to how to be as it goes forward. Um, whether it keeps or, or disbands um, um, the, the the changes that have been made to it by being in, uh, being close mm. to the Borg. 
and and they actually well, do started, decide um, uh, to keep some changes, don't they? Mm -hmm. There's there's yep. some yeah. couplings on some deck that that are working better since the Borg uh, messed with them, and Janeway says, "Well, keep them then." Yep, she said that, and she. I think also they'll probably get rid of some things because they're interfering with stuff. And Seven of Vine obviously knows how to fix that when she's not trying to reach the ball by, you know, nefarious means. <laughs> yep. We have a new set design, which we get to keep, which is the cargo bay where Seven of Nine's regeneration spaces are. And mm. so she'll, she'll end up with uh, uh, quarters unlike anybody else's. Um, uh, and, and, um, and, and that's a, that's an, a new aspect. They would have, they, they would have had to have designed a new, a new set design just for that so they can continue to have scenes in that space and they do have many well, more I reckon scenes. they must have spent gazillions doing those ball cubes in the inside of them you know they were highly complex and all sorts of things why would you spend all that money and not use it again will mm. so yeah, you right. know i think that's one reason for hanging on to the ones they've got in the cargo bay because they've spent gazillions and they want their money's worth Although I did read that um, we've had a number of, of Borg appearances in motion picture movies, which do have a much larger budget. So they've actually been able to steal some of those set designs to use as part of the Voyager. So Paramount um, was quite clever in being able to go, here's a movie that will produce this. Um, let's not get rid of all of this. Let's keep some of it so that we actually can use it in our episodes. Um, and so they probably would have been able to cut the budget in that way. Yep. So budget can be a great innovator. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's Drive part of the reason changes. why we, we, we're going to have Jerry Ryan spend less time in the makeup chair from now on. So that'll actually help the budget as well <laughs> uh, by peeling off all of that Borg implant and uh, getting her a, a, a stunning new silver suit. Um, she um, She's going to be able to uh, get dressed and be ready for each episode in a much faster time um, with just one little bit on her ear and a tiny bit over her eye. Yeah, yeah, she's looking pretty good, I thought. The Doctor, I thought, was um, rightfully boasting of uh, the creation. <laughs> he had, yes. you know, with the hair and the look. Stimulating and her hair fo follicles. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I thought he'd done a good job and he was rightfully proud. I, I wish they could actually um, uh, delete the uh, dirty old man um, uh, program uh, component of the Doctor at some time. It does get a little bit cringy from time to time and, and it will do in yeah. the future. Well, it is an old program, remember, Will. Um, sometimes I think we find things cringy now that they may not have found as cringy when it was actually made because there was a different feeling around things. And yeah, he is a bit creepy in that sense. But yeah, I, I, I thought you were you were meaning that that it's an old program, you know, that that uh, Zimmerman <laughs> or whoever created, you know, and. <laughs> no. And I did wonder if he can stimulate her hair follicles, what's wrong with him stimulating his own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't have to stimulate them. He doesn't have follicles. He just has to actually get uh, Balana to uh, rewrite the program so that he's got hair. In fact, um, he could actually look like Brad Pitt or uh, um, anybody he wanted <laughs> to. Yeah, he could just, he could just say, I, I don't want the Zimmerman profile anymore i i want to look like uh i want to look like a klingon or a, a romulan or they can they can change those parameters i used to him yeah. well i, 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 I love I mean, him the way he is I think that that actually raises really interesting questions. Like, uh, I mean, you, you say that, but if this is a, a complex, uh, evolved intelligence, 
um, would that actually work? Or would you in fact get a, a form of body dysmorphia because the, yeah, the yeah. program that had, yeah. had developed with him looking a certain way was suddenly confronted with the fact that he looks totally different? Mm. Yeah, anyway. I just, uh, I'm being called on my speciesist because I actually just <laughs> undervalued the... Uh, the, the image of, of a hologram. So, yeah, no, I, I, I think, and I think that's really easy to do because we, we actually can forget the doctor is significantly alien because he actually doesn't look significantly alien. Um, and so yeah. we'll judge him according to our standards instead of his own. So he judges himself in many ways according to our standards. And I've always assumed that's because he was programmed by humans. Yep. Mm. So he's going to reflect a number of, or a lot of those characteristics. But I love the Doctor as he is. I think he's delightful. I don't want Brad Pitt. <laughs> I, I've already mentioned the Harry Kim quotes, but uh, my other favourite quotes of the week is the little interchange between the Doctor and Tuvok, uh, where, um, where uh, uh, it, the uh, Tuvok says um, uh, maybe Kess is having an after effect from Species 8472 and the Doctor says uh, a reasonable diagnosis for a security officer and then later in the episode uh, he says something about putting one of uh, uh, Seven of Nine's implants in inside a force field in case it's still active and uh, Tuvok says uh, a, a reasonably prudent uh, decision for a doctor. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That was good, I thought. I also like Janeway's comment to Tuvok. Tuvok's featuring a lot of quotes. <laughs> I've got an O'Compan who wants to be something more and a Borg is afraid of becoming something less. less. Here's to Vulcan stability. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Certainly this this was even though he wasn't the central figure of, of the episode, this was a big episode for Tuvok and a lot of yep. character development for us. Um as we're actually becoming more and more aware of the fact that 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 for Tuvok um, dealing with how he feels about things is actually a a a a, a, a continuous process, um, and that he isn't just uh, oblivious or or beyond feeling those things, but he actually um, has to has to work really hard at doing that. Yeah, he does. Yep. And I, you can see that he is going to develop. Well, I think he was developing as he was going through some of this. And I can see already from the Voyager I've watched that the character has developed, I think, of yep. Tuvok. It's more well-rounded now. I don't think it's quite as stereotyped. Yep. You, you say already, um, Elizabeth, but I do need to remind you that we're now into season four of seven. So, you know, we, we are... We we're are, halfway through. Yeah, we're Northern. halfway through. We're on the road yeah. down, actually. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, they're going to get home in uh, in, in under three years now. So. <laughs> Not 60. That's right. That's right. Well, at least we've reduced it to 60 now, as far as the script's concerned. They're 10, what'd you say? We're 10 years yeah, closer. 10 years, to years closer. Yep. Yeah. So out, that means out, of, out of Borg space, which was what you were uh, concerned about last week, uh, Elizabeth, that, you know, that's um, right. why wouldn't the Borg come and get them? And yes. time, time I was is wondering a, how they'd resolve that one. So I know now. <laughs> time is a constant issue. I mean, no, they can travel um, 9.5 thousand light years in 10 years. Um, th th there seems to be a constant shifts in time, both on the macro level and the micro. I love that um, 
It took all this time to walk Kess down to the shuttle bay and move her into that position. And then moments later, Janeway walks back onto the bridge. So she must have taken the short way back to the bridge from the shuttle bay. Um, oh, was... maybe she was beamed back. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, side uh, to yeah. side transporter. Often, often <laughs> time, time seems a little bit rubbery uh, um, in, in these shows. Yes. Um, yeah, well, I felt there was a few gaps in the plot as far as Kess was concerned, and that's just one of them. There were, yeah. Hmm. But, but when, you're, when you've got 10 minutes to resolve something or less, you've got to be fairly um, succinct with your writing. Yes, yes. They don't pace things. themselves well. They often get to the last 10 minutes no. and go, oh, no, how are we going to resolve this? Quick, let's do a thing. Uh, yep, that's, that's it. Well, we've also run out of time, um, so uh, we need to bring this episode to a close. Uh, looking forward to uh, continuing on through our, our journey uh, in the Delta Quadrant. Uh, next week, uh, we get um, a bit of a, a, a further glimpse into the Taurus-Paris kind of relationship. Um, so we still haven't worked out a good ship uh, for them. Maybe we'll, we'll go with Taris or Porus or um, <laughs> Tomata um, kind of works, you know. Like, um, but uh, we continue Tombola. this 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 journey yeah, uh, of this growing Tombola. relationship. That's got a ring. But um, until uh, next time, uh, I've been Will Nicholas. I'm Lindsay Cullen. And I'm Elizabeth Rain. Voyager, season four, we have encountered the Borg. Elizabeth, Lindsay, and Will continue the theological discourse through the Delta Quadrant. Resistance is futile. Irrelevant. Your appeal to my humanity is pointless. I can't be sure, but I think there's more going on here than just a simple hello. Well, I think it's time we get back to our bridge. No argument there. Voyjourn, Season 4, 